This audio version of Hearts of Purpose by Gail Grace Nordskog has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by the hosts of the Monstrous Regiment podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to access the rest of this audiobook and many more. Chapter 7 Marilyn Poulos, Minister, ordained by the Assemblies of God, Poulos Ministries. Focus, spreading the gospel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. So many situations have occurred in my life that have allowed me to sense and know when the Lord is directing me. My desire is to always be sensitive to his presence and his leading in my life. It was an oppressively hot night when I stepped off the plane with my husband Al into the smothering humidity of Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was in 2002. The country was locked in a terrible civil war. I was astonished to see soldiers meeting us with AK-47 rifles. Fortunately, the missionary pastor who was our host also met us. He had asked us to come to check out the logistics of putting in a Christian radio station in this big city where he pastored. The soldiers watched us as Jacques Vernard, the pastor, took us to his car to leave. My heart was pounding loudly as we were stopped at the gate by security control. They wanted two things, one, to know who we were, and two, to ask for money to feed their families who were begging for food. They recognised the pastor, but didn't know us. All of this was in French, but we didn't understand any of it, so the pastor explained to us what they wanted as we finally drove on. He said that he gave some of them money, but could not give to all that asked. He knew that they didn't make enough money to buy food for their families. The soldiers always checked out who had flown into their country. We already knew that the government required us to have an official invitation to even visit the country, and that we would need a host with us for the entire time we were there. During the hour it took us to ride from the airport to Kinshasa, we passed miles and miles of people along the side of the road. Even though it was night time, we could see the despair on their faces as they were cooking their meals over small fires alongside the road. Children were milling around, waiting for their meagre meal. There was such emptiness in all of their faces. It made us determined to help get the Christian radio station going, so that the thousands of people in Kinshasa and the surrounding area would hear of a saviour who could give them hope. There were several checkpoints where soldiers with AK-47 rifles stopped us again, always looking us over and talking to the pastor before letting us proceed. We were beginning to realise that this really was one of the ten most dangerous places in the world. So, how did the little girl from a farm in southwest Missouri, who attended a one-room school, find herself years later in this dangerous country? Let us go back many years. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was happily skipping along, warmed by the sunshine on that mid-April day in southwest Missouri. It was my fifth birthday, and I was looking forward to the birthday dinner and celebrations being prepared inside our house. We had been to church, and now my family and relatives were here getting ready to celebrate my birthday and my dad's birthday, as his was earlier in the week. I knew that there would be southern fried chicken with all the trimmings, and probably angel food cake, as that was my favourite. There would also be hot, fluffy rolls that melted in my mouth, 
not even needing the homemade butter and jellies that would be on the table. You see, my mother was an excellent cook, and everyone loved her hot rolls and cinnamon rolls. We lived on a farm and grew a lot of our own food. We enjoyed eggs from our chickens, which were part of my responsibility to gather each day. There was always fresh meat that came from our farm, as well as canned and frozen vegetables and chickens in the freezer. My sister Phyllis and I always helped mother in the garden to prepare the food for canning. My dad and his brother worked hard on the farm, working in the fields and harvesting the crops. I remember my mother and other women fixing a huge noon meal for the men who came to help in the harvest. My sister and I would have cold water ready for the workers on their way to the barn from the field. My dad and uncle were always busy taking care of animals and milking cows morning and evening. But no matter how hard they worked, they always stopped in time to get to church, often with no time to eat supper until after church. One of the reasons I was so happy on that birthday was that I had just accepted Jesus as my saviour and I felt light and free, even as a five-year-old child. I couldn't remember the first time I had been in church or felt the presence of the Lord. My parents had taken me to church from the time I was born and into my current years. It also carried through my young adult years. As a result, I've always sensed his presence. He was honoured in our home through prayer, Bible reading, attending church and various religious gatherings, as well as my parents living the word in their daily lives. I now understand the reasoning in many of their decisions in life. I lived on the farm and attended a one-room school with eight grades. Often I was the only student in my grade. I would get my work done and then listen as the teacher would teach the other grades around me. I felt that was a great educational benefit to me. In the fall of my eighth grade year, we moved from the farm to Wichita, Kansas. My sister, who was two and a half years younger than me and I, then went to a much larger school in the urban area. Since I was the only eighth grader in the little one-room school I had attended, there was no graduation in that school that year. After a year in Wichita, we moved on to Denver, Colorado, where my sister Phyllis and I attended larger schools in the metropolitan area. That was about 1960. I felt the presence of the Lord during all of those years, feeling his comfort and help during the times of new experiences and making new friends. Now as a teenager, I became aware of how important Christ was to me. As a child, I always had a desire to attend a Bible college. I felt that this would prepare me for whatever he desired for me to do in life. After graduating from high school, there were some situations in life that could have discouraged me from attending a Bible college. However, I knew by then that it was God's will for me to do so. Having him in my life was too important not to do what I felt was his will. I worked for a year as a secretary in a prudential insurance office before sensing that it was time to enroll. During my college years, I dated a young man, Al, who was to become my husband. He was called to be a minister. So again, after much prayer to determine the Lord's will, I realized that this was where God was leading me. We were married shortly after I left Bible school in 1966. He had already graduated, so we began to minister together. We tried out for our first pastorate of a church at the end of our honeymoon. We were pastors of that church for nine years, and saw the church grow from 25 on our first Sunday to 152 in attendance before we moved on in ministry. During that time we had our two children, our boy Steve and then our girl Shirley. They are a little over two years apart in age and are now married. We tried to raise them in a home where Christian values were evident and lived out. Between them, 
We have five grandchildren, four grandsons and one granddaughter. Our daughter was married first in 1990 to Scott Hammond, a wonderful son-in-law who loves his family and is a minister. He is a chaplain and has become a colonel in the army. They have served the Lord faithfully and are in their 22nd year in the army serving our country. They have two sons, Caleb and Luke, and our only granddaughter, Megan. Our son Steve, who is also a minister, married a lovely young lady, Melissa, in 1994. They have two of our grandsons, Nathan and Colin, who are teenagers. They are serving the Lord as a family. Steve is director of events with Convoy of Hope, based in Springfield, Missouri. His events are all based in the United States, even though Convoy of Hope responds to tragedies with much-needed help all over the world. During much of the time that our children were growing up, we were in leadership positions of Christian education and, for me, in women's and girls' ministries for most of our state. This was from 1976 to 1983. We travelled almost every weekend to different churches to train and encourage the people in the churches in those ministries. We involved our children in our ministry. They travelled with us helping in children's services with singing, Bible verses and puppets. They loved the Lord and received training, not only at home but during the week in the teaching and training activities for children at our local church. So many situations have occurred in my life that have allowed me to sense and to know when the Lord is directing me. My desire is to always be sensitive to his presence and his leading in my life. One incident I would like to share occurred when we were in the third church that we pastored, around 1982. Our daughter was married there. She and her husband were our youth pastors for a time. Then they felt it was time for them to pastor a church. It turned out to be a small church, and Scott was in seminary finishing his degree. He was gone four days a week to the city for classes, and then worked a night job there. Sherry worked at a local bank and was home during the week. I had planned to attend a women's retreat near where they pastored, and I planned to stay with them. During the week before the retreat, I felt the Lord impress on me to have our church bring groceries, so that we could give them a surprise grocery shower. I knew that theirs was a tiny church, and that with school bills, their finances were tight. Al and I loaded the groceries into my car, filling the trunk. This would be a surprise for them. I loaded the few things I needed in the back seat of my car, and then drove to Scott and Sherry's home. We visited a while, then I told her we had a surprise for them, and I asked her to come out to the car. I opened the trunk and told her that our church had given them a grocery shower. She was totally amazed, and brokenly told me that she hadn't known what she was going to prepare for food while I was there, as she only had peanut butter in the house. We thanked the Lord together for his provision. As we unloaded the car, we arranged the food on the table and throughout the kitchen to surprise Scott when he came home from the city. He, too, was amazed at the need that was met through the generosity of another church family and the faithfulness of the Lord. This is just one situation where I learned to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He has led me in so many ways. Another situation is one when I wasn't too thrilled to do what he was leading us to do. We were leaving a pastorate in 1993 when Al felt the Lord leading us to be associate pastors for a church in Hawaii. For some reason I felt some hesitation and wasn't on board with the decision. Can you imagine not wanting to go to a place like Hawaii? As I prayed about the situation, I felt the Lord gently telling me that he had called Al to do this, and that I needed to agree as my husband is the head of our home. That was a difficult time for me, 
as we had to tell our children and family goodbye, knowing that we would not see them for a while. Our son Steve was just becoming engaged to be married, and I would not be able to help much in the planning of the wedding. I almost felt like a missionary, leaving behind everything that was familiar to me. The Lord was stretching me out of my comfort zone, but I knew in my heart that God was in control. We were in ministry in Hawaii for a while, as well as teaching part-time in the schools of Honolulu under special assignment. Steve and his bride Melissa were married during the time we lived in Hawaii, so we were able to fly back and be in their beautiful wedding. We also helped arrange a lovely honeymoon for them in Hawaii. In the summer of 1994, we knew it was time to move back to the mainland. We packed our things, sent them ahead of us to Missouri where we would be living, and left on a six-week mission trip in the South Pacific. Again, the Lord was speaking to Al to check out and observe some Christian radio stations in the countries we visited. American Samoa, the two Samoan countries, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, Tahiti, Tonga, and others. This turned out to be an invaluable experience and provided information needed for the ministry God was birthing in Al's heart. When we were in American Samoa, the general superintendent over churches there told Al that his heart's desire was to have a Christian radio station on the island. My husband had an extensive background in ham radio and commercial radio broadcasting, so he told the superintendent he would see if he could help him. As we settled into our new surroundings in Missouri and began working with the leadership in a local church, Al began to search out ways to put a radio station in American Samoa. Equipment was purchased or donated, and from 1995 to 2006, we made numerous trips to help set up the station, train the workers, and see that the radio station would sustain on its own. Each time we went, we were able to minister in various ways. We held special services, with Steve accompanying us on one trip as a youth speaker. I also held a prayer conference with women as work was being done in the station. Al and I spoke in churches all over the island, and saw God begin to break strongholds of the enemy as churches saw miracles and victories in spreading the gospel on their island. The Christian radio station became a reality and a strong witness to the island. God used this tool to speak to hearts. The national media director of our church fellowship heard about the new radio station, and in 2001 he arranged to talk to my husband regarding being available to help set up Christian radio stations in other places around the world. We prayed again for God's leading, and felt Him guiding us in this direction. In the years since, we have helped establish Christian radio stations in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Malawi, as well as a Christian TV station there, and in Tanzania, all in Africa. We have also made trips to other countries in Africa when an interest was expressed for a Christian radio station. Over the years, this has been a great lesson for me. I reluctantly went to Hawaii not knowing that in God's leading that way it would set the stage for many future years of mission ministry. Al and I have always responded to challenges in mission services to follow God's will. Neither my husband nor I have felt called to a specific country. We have pastored several churches and have gone on short-term mission trips to different countries, ministering the Word of God and also taking different teams with us to help minister in music, witnessing and training conferences. I loved studying geography while I was in school, not realizing that I would someday travel around the world to help spread the gospel. During those many trips to these countries to work on the radio stations, 
We have taken teams with us to minister in music and to have music conferences and workshops. Many different teams of women have gone with us to minister to women and children in women's conferences and to visit orphanages with gifts and supplies. We have spoken and encouraged students in Bible schools and encouraged and helped in all of the countries we have been in. While in Malawi on one of our trips there, probably around 2008, we were working with the radio station and took a musical team with us. We did music workshops with the musical teams in the church and we sang in their services and we also had specially announced concerts. On one particular trip, we had two soloists who had been singing in the States and had CDs. The concert was videoed and their CDs were played on the Christian radio station we helped set up. These girls became nationally known as their Christian testimony and song flooded the country of Malawi, blessing and encouraging the people. On a trip to Tanzania in 2011, we flew into the coastal city of Dar es Salaam. It was January, but there it was hot, their summer. We arrived late at night and were planning on leaving at 4 o'clock a.m. the next morning so that we could make the long bus trip across the country to where the radio station was being worked on and where we also had scheduled a women's conference. The place where we were planning to stay in Dar was advertised as having air conditioning. It did not. We only had about four hours for everyone to shower, rest a little, reload the luggage and supplies we had brought for the radio station and the missionaries, and then start the journey on the bus. From the heat, everyone was wringing wet with perspiration by the time we boarded the bus, but we did not hear a single word of despair or discouragement. There were around 15 people on the trip, most of them ladies, but they knew why they were there. They were determined that no matter the inconvenience or hardship, they were going to share the gospel. It was a great conference with over 1,000 people there and a wonderful move of God among them. Remembering back to that time, as we prepared for our first trip to the Democratic Republic of the Congo in 2002, the missionary pastor Jacques Venard of the church in Kinshasa worked with us to get the necessary paperwork done to enter the country. He wanted to establish a radio station for his church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We received a letter from him inviting us to come to his church, and we were to send it to the government officials there to obtain permission to enter the country. We would need to be accompanied by someone in that country the entire time we were there. We were told that at this time it was one of the ten most dangerous countries in the world. We believed it when we were met at the airport by soldiers with AK-47 rifles, followed by numerous questions and screening. We were thankful to be met by Pastor Venard, who had invited us and escorted us to his vehicle. We had made plans on that first trip to help set up a Christian radio station. After returning three more times, there is now a powerful radio station situated in that capital city, Kinshasa, proclaiming the gospel to millions of people. But now, remembering the past again, just after the radio station began broadcasting Christian music and preaching, a bus driver who attended the church had the radio on and was hearing Pastor Venard preaching. At the end of the bus route, the people just remained on the bus instead of getting off. They told the bus driver that they wanted to hear the rest. At the end, when the invitation was given to accept Christ, several people on the bus raised their hands. We were told later that there are many people listening to the gospel on the radio who have never stepped inside a church. Then and now, the story of Jesus is being told around the world. We have been in several other countries in Africa where there has been a desire for a Christian radio station, but the leaders have found that the fee was exorbitantly high for the license for a station. 
or that it was not available at all. We were still able to encourage and strengthen the people there. Most of these countries were more peaceful. They did not have the civil unrest we found in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. For the past several years, our focus and work has been in Tanzania. Our first trip there was in 2008. We met with leaders there who wanted a Christian radio station. We returned the next year, working with a team to establish a strong Christian radio station there. We have held numerous women's conferences during the time that the radio station was installed and training took place. There were times when we were waiting for a permit to be granted for a radio station, and during that waiting time our mission efforts focused on other needs. One example was in 2014, when we helped supply water to a Christian school of 600 students. There were brownouts all over the country, which means that the electricity is off from a few minutes to several hours. We helped supply generators for radio stations, as well as for schools. It is important for radio stations to continue broadcasting even if the power is off. And for the 600 students in a school when the power goes off in the African heat, a generator is life-saving. Clean water in Africa is precious. Tanks have been purchased and structures built for them to hold water saved for peak times of usage. One of our recent mission endeavours has spanned the last few years. As we have been waiting for a radio licence to be issued in Tanzania for their second radio station, we also have been working with the church leaders there to develop a 76-acre site for an orphanage and a women's empowerment centre. The National Director for Women's Ministries all over Tanzania has the burden to build homes where women can live who have been neglected or forced out of their homes because of their Christian testimony. These women can be trained and empowered to make a life for themselves. Children who have no home can be housed here, with house parents to care for them. School will be provided and Christian training will occur. There is also plenty of ground for gardening to be taught. Growing food for them to eat, as well as selling fresh produce, will provide income for the women as they better themselves. Girls can be taught skills that will enable them to be productive as they grow up. The National Director has a vision to begin the Women's Empowerment Centre and the Orphanage so that the 33 districts in Tanzania can do the same as they see this one being built and meeting the needs of the local people around it. With this as a sample, she has a vision for the other areas of Tanzania to build the same. In this way, needs can be met all over Tanzania as Christians reach out and provide practical ways to help them. The first project for the orphanage has been to get a well drilled on the property. Water is one of the first necessities for a project like this. In 2014, we viewed the land for the pilgrimage after we had conducted a women's conference nearby. We worked and raised money for a well to be drilled. But when they drilled, they found no water. The name of the area means land of no water, so the situation did not look good. We knew that the property would not be usable for an orphanage if there was no water. We soon learned that the rainy season was upon them and that they would not be able to drill in a different area of the property until the rainy season passed. That meant that there would be another three months to wait. It was discouraging news, but we prayed that after the rainy season the next attempt to drill a well would be successful in obtaining water. It was exciting news to hear that the next well drilled did produce an abundance of water. There was much rejoicing when the water well was tested and water came gushing out of it. The local pastor was shouting and dancing around, saying, Thank you, Jesus, we have water. Because water is so precious to the Africans, the pastor and his men were trying to catch and save all the water that was coming from the well. 
The water is not only for the orphanage and the women's centre, but it will provide water for the village nearby. This will enable women to come to a closer place for clean water, rather than walking miles to a river to bring water back in a bucket, balanced on their heads. The women in rural areas have to do this every day. Drinking unclean water is the number one killer of children under five years old in Africa. Malaria and AIDS have claimed an entire generation of people in Africa. Many grandmothers have grandchildren to care for and to raise because the parents have died due to these diseases. Often the grandmother is the one who needs the care. She may not have enough food to feed all of the children, so she will send the oldest ones away to other relatives, or live on the street because she has no food for them. This is prevalent all over Africa and one of the reasons for the burden to see an orphanage built. Reflecting back on things after the well was drilled, it was determined that solar panels would be needed for the energy to draw the water from the well. The reason for solar power instead of a generator is because the villagers would not need to buy diesel fuel to run the well. We knew that in Africa they would not have the money to buy diesel fuel at perhaps $10 a gallon when they only make $1 a day. The missionary wives of the area raised money to build a small home for a guard and his family. The well will be powered by solar panels, and a guard is necessary to ensure that the solar panels are not stolen. In 2016, Al and I went back to Tanzania with enough women to hold two women's conferences simultaneously. While we were ministering in the conferences, the men who accompanied us made the trip to the orphanage site and began testing the well for water to be pumped up using solar panels. It was an exciting time for the pastor of the local church, his men, and the men from the States when water began gurgling up from the well through the hose. The ladies' groups of our church fellowship from most of Missouri all banded together to raise $50,000 to build the first building for the orphanage and the Women's Empowerment Center. In August of 2016, the leader of these ladies' groups and her team went with us to a Tanzania. She had a large check printed and rolled it up as a scroll so that we could take it with us to Tanzania. It was presented to the church leaders there on the orphanage site. It was a huge surprise for the leaders. Again there was much joy and exuberance, shouting and praising God for this miracle. He had provided for the construction of the first building for the orphanage. On this trip we also held a women's conference in a town nearby. Christians enjoyed gospel music in Africa, and it is a big part of their church services and their worship to the Lord. Choir members of several churches in that area had made dresses alike. Hundreds of ladies dressed alike, and others who joined them formed a welcoming choir as we entered the grounds at the church for the conference. They lined the driveway into the church property, singing and waving and clapping their hands as we drove onto the property and around to the church. There were at least 500 women and children in the conference to whom we were able to minister. What a sight! In all the years that Al and I have been going to Africa, we never had a reception like that. The people came from that town and the surrounding area, several of them walking to get there and others arriving by riding public buses. Not many ladies in that area have a car that they own. They all came to worship our Lord and to be encouraged and challenged to serve our Saviour and be a light to others who do not know Jesus. The orphanage is being built as I am writing this. In January of 2017, Al and I went to Tanzania again with the leader and her team, who raised the money for the first building. We dedicated the cornerstone as this orphanage begins to minister to children and women who need a home. 
What a privilege it is at this moment to be involved in a mission field at home in Missouri. Al and I are currently pastoring again. There is still great interest in having Christian radio stations and Christian TV stations in different countries, and we are filled with the desire to help. We plan to continue helping with these and other projects as the Lord leads and directs. Minister Marilyn Poulos, ordained by the Assemblies of God, Poulos Ministries. This chapter has been narrated by Susanna Rountree.